anything that puts you vulnerable to a cyber attack that, you know, let's talk about social security numbers, credit card numbers, those types of things, you know, that could not only hurt you, but it could be fatal. This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. As always, my name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pest as well as Triangle Lawn. And with me, as always, is my compadre in arms, the infamous Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say good morning because we are recording this in the morning, regardless of when our listeners may be listening? Introduce yourself, our topic, and our sponsor, and then we can jump right into this. Sure. So good morning, Dan Gordon, PCO Bookkeepers, PCO MA Specialists. Uh, we do uh, outsourced accounting for pest and lawn companies, as well as exit planning brokerage services um, in the space as well. And um, this episode is sponsored by Colmarch by Workwave. Uh, to learn more about their services, uh, go to colmarch.com. And today, uh, we had such a popular episode last week with ChatGPT, <laughs> and everybody's been playing with it for the whole week and getting nothing done. So we decided to go uh, even further. The opposite. And, yeah. Right. And talk about going low tech in a high tech world. And this is really interesting because, you know, if, if anybody knows me, I, you know, our business is predicated on technology. But if it were predicated on my knowledge of technology, we'd be out of business, right? So uh, we've got a bunch of young, smart guys and gals working for us who uh, know technology pretty well. And uh, I think from a, 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 a high level, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. But uh, so anyway, uh, let's uh, talk. So why, uh, you know, Chat GPT, we got a lot of feedback. Uh, even my wife was interested in it, which she hang never on, Hang on, Carol listened to one of our podcasts she did and she asked right, we, we've officially we've, we've officially made it <laughs> yes we're we're anytime uh, we're, your wife acknowledges anything that you do or husband for this matter depending on who you're listening to then, then you know that you have done something pretty pretty special but yeah yeah, but yeah. so anyway so uh we decided to uh explore technology a little bit more because what i find many times is that uh um, you know, there, there's there's two things that you can throw at business problems. One is money, and that's not always the best thing to do. And two is technology, and that's not always the best thing to do as well. So let's kind of talk about this topic and, uh, you know, why this topic and uh, uh, tell me your thoughts. Well, you know, I think first things first, you know, we need to put the disclaimers out there. Before I get into this topic, my background is computer science and I love technology. I am not a Luddite. I would I would argue that Dan probably is joking. What is a Luddite? A Luddite? You don't know what a Luddite is? You gotta you gotta no, know your history, Dan. A Luddite is this is a back in the it's an old historical term. It was this town of people who hated technology and they had this big bonfire in the middle of the town and they decided that they were gonna get rid of technology and burn it all in the middle of this yard. And they became known as the Luddites because it was a movement to be anti-technology. So when there's your this? historical lesson. Wait, wait, the, wait, 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 wait. When was this? Oh, this was, man, I don't know, 1800s? I mean, look. So they were burning their abacuses? I mean, what, what kind of technology? I, you know, hang on. So here, here's what I'll tell you. Go to Wikipedia and look up Luddites. Okay, 19th <laughs> century. 
Okay. 19 centuries. I just, I just Googled it real quick as we were talking. So anyway, all right. Yes. So why this topic? You know, I, 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 I had a situation happen. So, so Dan never is bashful about talking about the fact that I have an airplane and that I fly a lot. And, you know, I am pretty close to that industry. And for my particular airplane, there's an owner's, there's like an owner's association. And a lot of the pilots will talk with each other. And, and, and there's an anonymous forum on this association website where people can post experiences, issues, and you can, you can post kind of in two different sections. One is, is where everyone knows who you are and the other one is anonymous. So no one can ever figure out who posted it. And there was a pilot who posted a story about he was flying in, in the weather, um, had some icing on the airplane, doing a pretty standard approach. And as he's flying in, he starts messing up in the box and the box means, you know, programming the computer to have the airplane to fly the approach for him. And he blows through this approach course. He's trying to get his computer reprogrammed, figures out that he's going to um, go way past where he's cleared to go, takes control of the airplane and puts the airplane into a stall spin at low altitude. And, and essentially what happens is, is he barely pulls the airplane out of the stall um, with about, mm, about 800 feet to go before you hit the ground. And, you know, it's an interesting thing because this happens a lot, you know, when, when people get really, um, when they get very dependent on technology, they kind of forget the big picture, you know, and, 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 in, in, in flying, the, the number one thing is always, you got to fly the airplane, right? And, you know, one of the things that we were trained in the air force is that if the airplane is not doing what you want it to do, cut the autopilot out and fly the airplane. In this case, the guy posted the story and it was kind of a, it was one of those stories where like, Hey, learn from this. I should have just disconnected the autopilot. I should have just flown reset and then gotten everything set up. But instead he fought the computer and almost killed everyone on board. And that story stuck with me because I've seen it happen a lot. I used to instruct and I would watch the same thing happen. And it made me think about, you know, Dan, Dan and I, or, you know, we, we know quite a few owners and this is something that I see a lot. And I thought, well, you know, we just talked about chat GPT. We just talked about all the benefits of technology, but let's not forget, you know, fly the airplane in this case, run your business. And so I, I thought it'd be great for us to get an episode where we talk about, you know, what's the core thing that we do and really how does technology support that? Not, you know, become that. And, you know, one of the things that I think that a lot of people mistake is when they get into technology, at first it's like, wow, you know, this can be a multiplier for my business. This can be something that, you know, can make us more efficient, can make me more money or whatever. But pretty soon, once they get into it, they all of a sudden take on the hat of a software integrator, or they become, you know, they get to a point where they they critique really small things like, you know, I don't like the color of this, or I don't like the way that works. And so what started out as a good thing, meaning that, you know, something that was going to make them more efficient, something that's going to make them um, more money, turns into a massive distraction to the point that they stop growing their business or they stop doing the fundamentals. And so that's what this, that's what this episode is all about, right? This episode is about stepping back from your business seeing technology for what it is and making sure that technology gets put in a proper place. Because, you know, as we get, I, I mean, I know for me personally, I've been in the industry since 20, 
well, 2006 is when I started. And, you know, technology has massively changed the industry in some ways for the better, in some ways, not so much. But, but the fact of the matter is, it's like the fundamentals are the same. And I've seen this, I've, I've, I am guilty of this myself. So before I say any of this, I don't want anyone to think that I'm being judgmental or that I'm sitting on some ivory tower, although I do, um, I would, <laughs> I would say that, you know, it's, it is a really hard thing to do to put proper technology in your business without it becoming a major distraction and without it becoming something where you almost, you almost spend most of your time dealing with the technology than you do with actually running your business. So that's, that's the setup. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that before we jump into it, but that's, that was kind of the reasoning behind. Well, I just, I just know that when I was running our company, our, our pest control company way back when, uh, salespeople were just starting to get laptops and whatnot, and, and now they have iPads, and and that's pretty standard. But I just remember thinking that when you give a salesperson a laptop, he becomes a computer operator, he or she, as opposed to a salesperson. And so we overcomplicate it with the technology. A salesperson is a, a salesperson. And uh, giving them the technology, um, sometimes it works and sometimes it becomes a total distraction. The other observation that I made is years ago, the collection efforts, right? We used to have a manual collection effort. And mm -hmm. really, it's all about calling the customer and asking for the money. It's not about sending emails and, you know, giving them right. portals to, to go on and everything. And uh, so those are uh, a couple of the observations where I think that we over technology or over tech uh, our businesses, uh, forgetting what it is that we do. Um, but, um, you know, those, those are two antidotes from a while back. So let's talk about how should... And, and by the way, this is Donnie's opinion, but how should I put technology in its place? And, you know, I got to thinking about this topic a lot. And I think the first thing is, is it's really good as a business owner just to do a gut check. And what I mean by that is, you know, okay, so technology, sometimes people think that technology is a strategy. Okay. Technology is not a strategy. Okay. Technology is there to support your strategy. And so when we talk about what, what do I need to do in order to put technology in its place? The very first thing, and I think this is very critical, and I think a lot of owners don't do this. And if you haven't done this, this is worth the hour or two, maybe even longer. It shouldn't take you that long to do this, but clarity on exactly what your business model is. And this has benefits well beyond technology. It also has benefits on focus. But you know, if you have not sat down and you don't fundamentally understand and have absolute clarity on what your business model is, meaning that you've not drawn it out, you've not written it down, and you can't explain it in five minutes or less. That's step number one. And, and what I mean let by me, that is let me let me interrupt you right here. Yeah. I used to I used to do talks all the time and I would always start it out and haven't said it in a while, so I don't know what happened, but I used to say, we're in a simple business, not an easy to execute business. Basically, somebody has a problem, you go to their home or business, you solve the problem, and you set them up on a route, and you do that over and over again until you build several routes, uh, and um, thereby building your business. That's how simple our business model is. And that's the, and that's the reality, right? It's just sitting down and saying, okay, 
here's, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And none of that sounds obvious, but I'm telling you, when it comes to focus, I see people doing, and by the way, I'm not bashing bird work before I say this, and I'm not bashing crawl spaces and addict treatments and those types. If that's part of your business model, that's perfectly fine. All I'm saying is, is that what I see a lot of is people who are not very clear in their business model. And so they're not focused. And so what happens is, is like their attention is everywhere and they suck at all of them. And so the reality of it is, is like, you know, back up for a moment and say, okay, what is my end game? That's where we start. Every business will be sold, period, dot. Every single business will be sold. And at some point you're going to get out of business. And so then you got to build a picture in your brain of like, what does that look like? What do I want? What's my goal out of that? And then from that, it's like, okay, well, now how, this, how is the business going to support that? And that could be freedom. That could be money, of course. That could be a, a, a number of things. I mean, you have to decide what that is. But reality of it is, is that once you decide, like, this is what I want my exit plan to look like, then you need to build your business to support that exit plan, whatever that is. So, so my point is, is that if you don't have clarity on what your business model is, you know, what will happen is, is over time, you'll see opportunities. I mean, that's why you're an entrepreneur, right? That's why you're an owner. You see an opportunity and you're like, oh, that sounds great. I could go do that. Oh, that sounds great. I can go do that. Oh, that sounds great. And I could do that. And again, if you're intentional about it, that's one thing. If you're just kind of blowing and going, what's going to happen is, is that you're going to do a bunch of different services and you're going to suck at all of them. And so, you know, first step before you even talk about technology is know what you're doing, <laughs> Right. Know where you're going. I mean, I know that sounds so basic and common, but it is rampant. Like I guarantee you, if you sat down at a table with 15 business owners and you asked them to describe their business model, you would have an all day discussion when really it should be every person gets five minutes and it should be very, very simple to understand. So having said that, I will tell you that Triangle's business model is to sell residential recurring services, period, dot. Recurring service meaning meaning we don't we don't go commercial we're not we're, and, and these are pest and lawn services I should have, I should have included that but but that's our business model right now now that doesn't mean I can't change it doesn't mean that later on I may not add another service line or I may not but but the fact of the matter is is that that's how simple this process is is to be very very clear and Dan I'm sure you can Dan will make fun of me here Dan's been in meetings with me and people start talking about all these different things they're doing and it drives me crazy this is a trigger for me because I'm like what are you doing right let's just get focused on what we're doing so. Enough of the soapbox. Dan, anything to add about a business model before we move on to our next, uh, no, our next point? I, about like, it? like I said, it's it's a very simple model. It's not easy to execute, but it's a very simple model. And once you understand that, then you can uh, spec it out for technology, which I have some thoughts about. But uh, let's let's uh, move on. Yep. So second thing is, and again, this is putting technology in its place, is clarity on your processes. You know, whatever... This is something that I see a lot. And again, I'm not being critical and I'm, I have fallen victim to this, but don't ever put software on a process. You always put a process on software. And you know, when you wrote that, that, you, when you wrote that, and I, I hate to compliment you, I, <laughs> that was one of the most brilliant things you've ever said. Can you repeat it? <laughs> Oh gosh, I just, well, man, a compliment from Dan on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, can you please mark this on your phone? I don't, I don't know. These don't come very often, but no, I will repeat it. And Dan's saying this because I put this on the outline, but it absolutely is true. And that is don't ever put software on process 
put process on software. And so let me explain what that means. You know, when you think about your business model, you know, like, okay, this is how we're going to make money. This is how I'm going to exit. This is my strategy. This is how I'm going to make money. This is how I'm going to build a valuable business. Then if you, and, and by the way, I mean, every, if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you know, I'm an EOS fan. We, you know, we're in the process of implementing at Triangle. Uh, I see the benefits of it. There's a whole chapter in there that talks about processes and, you know, and by the way, Traction is not the first one to do it. E-Myth is really big on this. We've had Michael Gerber on the podcast. I mean, just about any book, you know, worth its weight on business will tell you that, you know, when it comes down to it, it's all about your processes. The issue becomes is that I'm a business owner. Number one, I don't want to take the discipline to sit down and think through how I'm going to go to market. Number two is I don't have the discipline or I don't want to, you know, take the time to sit down like, what's the best way to do this? But I'll gladly pay someone to tell me some magic software that's going to turn a customer, you know, from, from a web click into, into a paying client. And then I hand it over to them. This is one of those things where you really need to sit down and think about this is how I want my customer to go through and be, you know, from, from potential client to, to presentation, to sell, to service, and now they're a paying customer. And so what that means is, is that you need to think through what the process is, like what your process is to, to take care of your customers, whatever. I mean, this could be through billing, this could be through servicing, this could be through selling, but what's your ideal process first? Once you've got that figured out, then go and look for technology to support that process. Because in business, it's not about the software. And oftentimes what, what I see um, a, a big mistake happen is, is that sometimes people don't think through their process and they put it on software and it becomes so broken and so difficult. I mean, these are how bureaucracies get created, right? Is they don't think through like, what's the most critical way to do something? Let's figure out the easiest way. And that's not always the best way. And so the, the main thing is, is that you don't use software or not processes. They're just not, you know, it's there to support you, not to be your strategy. So Dan, thoughts on it. Have you seen this, by the way? I know I put this in the outline and we didn't talk yeah, about it beforehand, it, but I mean, it, 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 it's it's kind of interesting. So what, what we do is we, you know, you know, some CRMs in the industry are better than others at, at providing certain information that you want, but they all give you reports. And what drives me nuts is when I go into a new client and they got some Excel jockey who exports mm -hmm. everything to Excel, manipulates it, comes up with all these pivot tables and V lookups and everything to get to an answer that could have been answered by hitting a button in the software and running a report. But because it exports to Excel, that's why they do it. Not saying that Excel is not an awesome tool, it is, but a lot of these CRMs provide a lot of information. The other thing that I think is kind of interesting is that we get a CRM to run our business, then we get a Salesforce or, you know, uh, one of the, you know, some, some other uh, for, for, for sales and, and, and maybe one other program. So now we're running three databases and then, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I want to do uh, this. Uh, I want to get information. So then I subscribe to some data warehouse. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people I've seen go to data warehouses, pay a lot of money and then come off it and go, this isn't right. Uh, and I know that you went, by the way, I, talk, I talk am one of those people. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. I am definitely one of those people. I'm not going to use names, but, but here's what I will say. Donnie Shell. Well, I mean, so, again, 
if you, again, it, another point, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, I'm not very bright, right? But I definitely, what you That's just true. described, I have done, right? I have definitely, and, and let me just explain something. There is actually a discipline to back off and say, this is what's important and this is what's not important. And it's nice, but it's not essential, right? And if it's not essential, it's, I will tell you nine times out of 10, you are way better off not adding a complexity to your business than you are to put it in to get you that one stat that you think is going to change everything. And, you know, that was the, you know, in our case, that's where we fell down was that we were using, we were trying to get stats that, did they really change the game? No, they didn't. You know what I mean? They, the, the stats were interesting to know. And, you know, they could change a little thing here and there, but we're talking about little one percenters. We're not talking about the critical stats. I will tell you that almost all of your critical stats, most CRMs today in our industry can handle them and you don't need a data warehouse. I'm not anti-data warehouse. There's, there's, so, there's but before you, but, but just what is a data warehouse? Just explain it. Yeah. So a data warehouse, there's, there's different, there's different softwares out there that I, I think probably the most popular one is a, a software called Snowflake. And all it is, is that you just pull disparate data sources. So this could be your CRM. It could be Google Analytics. It could be, you know, a host of different data and you pull it all into one single database. And now you've got your own database. And now what you can do is you can start aggregating this data together to give you different insights, which is a fantastic concept. It's, and I mean, and it is absolutely is, um, it, it can be, you know, again, assuming that you, that you have a need to, to, to pull these two, you know, more data pieces together, it can be very enlightening. But the fact is most people in our, our CRMs in our industry already support the critical things that you need to know. Now, again, I'm not telling you don't do it and I'm not, and I'm totally against it. I'm not saying it at all. I'm just making the point that it's a high investment. I have not seen someone implement a data warehouse that has been a game changer. It has created, you know, what I call the, you know, the KPI buffet where it creates, you know, a lot of cool stats to look at, but the fact of the matter is, is that it doesn't really have, it doesn't bring a ton to the business. When you look at the complexity that it adds, the amount of money and time that it takes to support it. That's my own experience. Not telling you that's it's, it's, it's everyone's experience, not telling you not to do it. It's just when I've seen people go that route, Generally speaking, they're going for stats that just don't, they just don't matter as much. So give me, so let's, uh, in our non-technology world, what's the most important operational or financial KPI? I would argue it's gross margin. What's the most uh, important set or marketing? Because marketing comes before sales. Oh, it's yeah. cost per lead. Actually, it's what's cost per sale. Important? It's cost per well, sale. Well, well, in the sales arena, what's the, it's cost per sale. So marketing cost per lead. Cost well, let's let's pause there for a second because this is yes. this is the part where I'm gonna I'm gonna you know it's it's actually a combination stat because and the reason I say that is is that, that I actually track cost per sale in marketing. And by the way, Dan is correct. It is a sales number, but the reason I do that is because it also when you use cost per sale in marketing, it 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 could it goes to two paths, right? Number one is, is your sales team closing? This is assuming if you take your sales team out and they're closing at a consistent rate, whatever that is, I'm not going to tell you what stats it should or should not be, but it's a great indicator of lead quality. You know what I mean? Like cost per sale in marketing is a fantastic indicator 
of lead quality. Because again, I could market and get you traffic and I could get you a ton of leads. But the fact of the matter is, is that if the leads I'm bringing you are not qualified or they're for something that you don't cover, that's not really helping you. And so will that drop you to cost per lead? Yeah. But sometimes your cost per lead may be super, super low and it's hiding the fact that you're actually still sucking in marketing because you're not right. attracting the right people. So keep going. So I do agree. It All is right. definitely so, gross margin. So 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 here, here's, you know, without a computer, gross margin, cost per lead, cost per sale. And then I would argue in the GNA section, number of office people to number of people on the road. And I, the reason I say people as opposed to technicians is some people have outside salespeople. But if you manage those four things, right? And obviously, you know, in order to get to those things and, and to improve them, you need to understand, you know, uh, total technician production per day and things like that. But that's how easy or simple it is when we start mucking it up with all of the technology and, uh, you know, uh, all, it, not saying that it can't work because it, it definitely does work. But I think that uh, the, the beauty of our business is the simplicity. We are not a high tech business. It's why uh, you've got low barriers to entry and you're constantly bringing in younger people and who are starting companies that are really successful. Uh, it's, you know, if, if, if we're a, a high tech company, there's huge barriers to entry, a lot of capital required and whatnot, but it's kind of what makes our industry really, really terrific. And there's definitely a place for technology, but I don't think we should overdo it. Well, you know, and a, a great example of this is, you know, back in 2006, when I started GPS was, first of all, just to show you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an aged man. I won't, I'm not going to compare myself to Dan, but I will say this. I still remember training. That was like a backhanded. I was not a back. It was a compliment, Dan. You just don't know it. <laughs> right. So, right. So, you just called me an old man. No, no, no. So I still remember riding in a truck and I spent more time teaching guys how to read a map book and how to drive with a map book than I did on how to kill bugs. I still remember those days. And then, you know, I don't know if you remember the TomTom Tom GPS units came out. And man, I just could not believe how fantastic those things were. And then, so so I'm, I'm bringing all that to bring, and then all of a sudden GPS monitoring became really big in our industry. And I'll never forget my very first lesson when I figured out that, you know, sometimes high tech is not always the greatest thing. We put GPS units in our trucks. And if you look, it generates an enormous amount of data. I mean, just an it's enormous a full-time job, just monitoring. And that's what happened, right? I ended up, I remember one time I'm like, man, I'm spending two hours a day just going through GPS data. Like, you know, and, and really it doesn't matter. Like, you know, I would say 90% of the data, I don't even care about. And so it, you know, we had to develop a process. Like I only want to see when there's heartbreaking. I only want to see when there's idle time. You know, I only want to see when someone's fueling and they're not by a fuel pump. Right. Because then, then it was like, okay, now that's useful data. And so, so again, I'm sure these are things that all of our listeners know, but I'm just making the point that, you know, you have to be very careful. That same dynamic can play out. It may not be in GPS, but multiple areas of your business in marketing and, you know, in operations and just everyone's got the next best thing. And you just have to stop and ask yourself. And this is why we started with define your business model first 
and your critical processes first. And then that way, when you go back and someone starts showing you a 90, you know, a shiny new piece of software and it's going to change your business, you can say, well, am I putting process on software or is software being put on my process? And that's a big difference. And so you just don't want to fall into that because I have certain, by the way, I say all of these things because I've made these mistakes. <laughs> you know, so I've done so every I'm, one of I'm, them. I'm starting a pest control company and I plan in three years to be a million dollars. What mm -hmm. pieces of software do I need? At that point, it's just a CRM. Yeah, legitimately. And, and just a CRM. And QuickBooks, yeah. of course. Yes. And they need yeah. to be connected one way or the other. So, okay. Last thing and last point here, and we kind of already made this point, and then we're going to talk about when not to go high tech, which is, you know, you just need to make sure that in your business that you don't allow technology to become a distraction, right? That it's supporting your overall, it's, it's supporting your business model and it's supporting your overall business processes, but it's not your strategy. And you don't, you, you're very aware that you don't allow it to waste your time and money. And by the way, this is not just for you. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've been told we can't do something because the software doesn't support it. I can't reach out to such and such customer because, you know, we don't have this capability. And I'm like, hang on. Right. <laughs> because like what you said. So, so you just have to be very cautious and remember fly the airplane, right? Like we, yes, I can't program the box the exact way to do all of it and automate it. That's fine. But sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you just need to go out and execute. So let's transition now to when not to go high tech. This is on the backside of a nice chat GPT episode. And, and by the way, again, we're not anti-technology here, but just let's not just talk all. about, no, not at all, but I'm just saying when not to do it. And I would say number one is um, there is a book. If you've not read it, it's a fantastic book. It's called the Toyota way. It was written back in the nineties. I think it was. And it, anyway, it talks about how Toyota, you know, as a company back in the eighties, they were kind of a, you know, especially early eighties, they were almost a laughed at company because everything they produced was crap. And, you know, everything in Japan after world war two was, was, you know, just riddled with issues and problems. And, and so anyway, it's this whole story about how Toyota became kind of this, you know, laughing stock of the auto industry into being the, the market leader in terms of quality. And I remember when I read this book, it, you know, there's a whole chapter dedicated to this and they talk about how, Toyota did not embrace technology like the U.S. automakers did. So like Chrysler and Ford and all these other automakers were investing heavily, heavily, heavily in robotics. And Toyota sat back and said, wait a minute, this doesn't really support our process. And so what they did is that they still used robotics, by the way. They still used uh, some of the technology, but they got away with using about 20% of the technology that the U.S. automakers were making. And so they avoided all the debt of, of investing in the robotics. And in the end, they ended up producing a better product. And so if you hadn't, if you haven't had a chance to read that book, it's a fantastic read, especially for business, because there's a lot of good principles in there. But, you know, the, I would say when not to go high tech is really when it's not necessary. You know, adding technology and having great reporting, those all those things are fine. But, you know, this kind of supports the points that we've been talking about, which is if it's not supporting my business model and it's not supporting my processes, it's not essential. End of story, period, dot. Okay, period, dot. And don't allow anyone else to tell you something different. And so, you know, for me, 
I have fallen victim to this so many times because I have a background in software, a background, I used to write code and, you know, I look at stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be easy to do. And then what happens is, is that over time you add this little thing over here, you add this little thing over here and you add this little thing over here. And then three years later, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, we've created this whole other beast that we've got to support now that doesn't even have anything to do with my business model, my processes. And so that for me, I would say used technology, but only when it's necessary. If it's not necessary, you can go without it and keep the complexity out of your business because that's just another piece of software to keep up to date. That's another piece of software to train someone on. It's another piece of software that's bringing a little bit of value and a whole lot of cost. And when I say a whole lot of cost, I'm talking about costs in terms of you know, training, uh, keeping it up to date you know, because it never breaks, right? <laughs> It's kind of interesting. Uh, somebody, uh, uh, a client of ours switched uh, their CRMs, um, big client, probably $10 million client. And uh, they said that they lost a year of their business. They just, just the conversion alone, just the complexity of it, the, uh, you know, getting everybody, um, you know, get, getting the data right. And then getting uh, people trained on it. They lost a year of, uh, of, of, of their growth trajectory. You know, that's a different, that, that could almost be an episode of its on its own, because, you yeah. know, one of the things I hear all the time is that we're considering switching software. We don't like such and such software. We want to go do that. And, and what I will tell you is, by the way, and I've done this, this I'm on my third time now, and I'm not going to name names, but I've done this and it was a massive mistake. It was a huge, I mean, I would put this in the top three when it comes to all-time gaps of Donnie Shelton running triangle. And that, and, you know, at the time it made sense because our business trip, we were going to change our business model. And so we wanted to get software in place to support the change. And, you know, just like what you said, Dan, we, it was such a massive distraction. It was such a burden on the business. It wasn't fatal, but we went from a Swiss watch to a freaking dumpster fire. And could, I mean, and it takes months, if not years to get back. And so, you know, I'm not telling you don't switch softwares. All I'm saying is, is that you better make that decision very, very cautiously because it's like most things, right? The grass is always green on the other side. That's why people get yep. married five times, right? You carry your problems with you. <laughs> it's not like, and you want to make sure that the issues that you're having are technically software issues and not business issues yeah i'm trying <laughs> so, to figure out how uh getting married five times fits into the conversation oh it 100 does because you know hey it's 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 the grass is greener on the other side right well my current spouse is not great but this new one over here now that'll that'll take care of all my problems and meanwhile it's got nothing to do with your spouse emily where are you no we're not we're not she doesn't listen to my, my podcast i'm not you know she hasn't she's not she, she's not Carol. Carol has, you, you've won Carol over. I don't she know. She listened, Carol listened to one. And by the way, the story that you were telling, this is not technology related. When I started my pest control company, we had all five speed uh, uh, vehicles and Carol had to teach my technicians how to drive a five speed. And she would come in and her neck would be hurting all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, so. the days of starting They're They're always fun, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so first one is don't go high tech when it's not necessary. The second one is a corollary to that. And that is when it's not cost effective, meaning that when the cost of buying the software, and this is the key one, 
is really understand the cost of maintaining technology. When it exceeds the benefits, it's not worth using. And what I mean by that is that, you know, maintaining, if it requires, you know, I, the most expensive thing we have in our PL is labor. If you're having to hire people and you're having to like spend hours on moving data around so that you can get some special little stat, you really want to, and I'm not telling you it isn't worth it. I'm not saying that. But what I would say is that it's probably worth you sitting down and understanding, like, is this really cost effective for the price that I'm paying for the software, for the price that I'm paying for, you know, the technology, the price I'm paying to maintain it and the price that I'm paying to move data through it. When I put all those costs up, is that making me more money? And if you answer that, if the answer to that question is no, then probably not a good time to go high tech. It's probably not worth the effort, you know, again, you want to create as simple as, as, as feasibly possible. Yeah. Just a, a point to, to, to remember that you kind of covered, but uh, uh, the, the price of technology is not the subscription that you pay every month. It's the labor mm -hmm. to administer it and the mm -hmm. distraction. That's the big cost. Yep. So. Yep. And then another point is, and this is, probably more for our smaller operators than our large ones. I think the large ones know this in our listeners, but I have to say it. And that is, you know, you have to be very careful with any kind of software that creates a security risk for your business. And that means, you know, sensitive information makes it available or, you know, you would be shocked, maybe not, but anything that puts you vulnerable to a cyber attack that, you know, let's talk about social security numbers, credit card numbers, those types of things, you know, that could not only hurt you, but it could be fatal. And so if you're having, you know, if you have a, like, if you have any kind of social security number that you have out, what I mean out, meaning like in a spreadsheet or whatever, or, or same thing for credit card numbers, like you are running a serious risk. And so any kind of software you have. So, to so by sure the way, just, just, uh, so why would a pest control company have social security numbers? It's not just your customers, it's your employees. Yeah. And 100%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So, what I would say is that any technology that exposes that kind of information, you want to get rid of it. Don't have it. Don't put that liability on you. Ultimately, it's your liability. And by the way, if you don't have cyber insurance, it's well worth it. Stop listening to this podcast and call your insurance agent right now. <laughs> Go get it. But I just, I bring this up because I've heard this now. It seems like I hear this at least two to three times a year where someone gets an attack their rules are changed in their email. And, and then all of a sudden, like customer credit cards are going to a hacker, they're charging stuff off. And sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. And so you want to be very careful and very cautious. And you want to make sure that whatever, and again, if you've got 20 different softwares, you can't possibly secure it all. If you've got one or two, now you can be pretty, you know, now you can be pretty locked down. And so I would say number three, when not to go high tech, is that any time that it's going to require you to expose yourself in terms of credit card numbers or social security numbers. You should not have any of that information on your network in spreadsheets accessible whatsoever. It needs to be in its own software. It needs to be, and I mean, again, most CRMs, they don't store that information either. They have it in a you know PCI compliant data warehouse somewhere. And all they do is transfer tokens and same thing for social security numbers. Most payroll systems don't have that information accessible and it's off of you. So just make sure that you don't have anything that creates security risk. And then the last one, well, first of all, anything to add to that before I move on, um, Dan? No, I, I, I think that the cyber uh, aspect of it is um, 
one that unless you've been through it, people don't consider. But you know, we get to see uh, fraud because of all the clients that we have. We we get to see some of the wildest fraud uh, being perpetrated against owners, their bank accounts, right. things like that. So right. so it is real. Hey, my last point is going to be somewhat controversial. So let's just get into it. And let's just have some fun with it. And I'm going to start it with a question to you, Dan. How many relationships have you seen? We're talking about marriage relationships now. Started via Zoom, developed via Zoom, married via Zoom, and had children via Zoom. Zero. Okay. Zero. Having, ha, all of that can work, but the, having children, you need to explain. <laughs> Hang on. We're not going there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I'm making here is, is that, you know, I, I am not a fan of the Zoom age. Let's just say that. And what I mean by that is, that by the way, we are recording this on Zoom. We are recording on Zoom. Yes. But that's doing a podcast. When it comes yes. to my business, we are in a service business, aka we are in a people business. When it comes to allowing technology to interfere with personal interactions, you as an owner, you as a leader have to be face to face. It just has to happen. Now, this is Donnie's opinion. There's going to be people who are going to disagree with me and say, oh, I can I do everything totally via Zoom and I can do it. Yada, yada. I don't buy it. I don't totally believe agree. it. Yeah. Totally agree. And However, so it, the millennials, they don't want any of it. It's hilarious. You know, what's so funny is, is I just, just this weekend, I was talking to someone and said, yeah, my such and such son got a job for a big company. I'm not going to name the name. And now they're telling him he's going to have to come in and now he's considering quitting. Like, I'm sorry. And that, you know, there are some fields where like accounting, for example, like I'm sure you have accountants, Dan, that work for you then, and you guys can build face-to-face -face interactions, but it's not a job where you need to be together every single day. I don't think that's the case in a pest or a lawn company. You know, I just don't, I think the face-to-face, -face, the interaction, like you need to have personal, because again, you don't get married and have kids over zoom. Just don't, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we are social beings and we need to be together. And to me, when technology interferes with personal interactions, you know, it can hinder, it can create more problems than it solves. And what I mean by that is that I can be in a room, like when we did CO2 one year via Zoom, because we had to, because of COVID. I hate doing Zoom talks because a lot of times when I'm speaking, I can look at faces and know what I'm saying right now is resonating and people understanding it, or mm, I need to stop for a minute and I need to dig a little further into this because I'm getting a lot of like blank stares. And, and so it's just, it's those nonverbals that it's very difficult to read, even with a camera on. Um, I just think that, you know, there are times that you, you leverage technology, but I don't leverage technology for building relationships, maintaining. Sure. You know, it's a go to, it's a go between, but it's not in my mind, it's not a strategy. So Dan, feel free to tear that up, but that's just, I want no, to put that I, in there. I, I totally agree, but yes, in our accounting firm, uh, I would say that probably three days to four days a week, our client managers work from home. There's no question about it. And in fact, we're rethinking the whole office strategy. We used to have a desk for everyone. We're going to probably move into a smaller office, maybe two or three, three people to a desk because they never come in anyway. And then a nice size conference room. But, but you're right. I, I think uh, that the, the, face-to-face, -face, especially in a, uh, a customer service business, uh, is extremely important. Okay. I'm, we're wrapping up here, and I got one more thing for you, Dan, and then we're going to be done. Are you mm -hmm. ready? Sure. 
I am reading, by the way, so this is not Donnie's original content. The Luddites were a secret oath-based organization of English textile workers in the 19th century who formed a radical faction which destroyed textile machinery. The group is believed to have taken its name from Ned Ludd, a legendary weaver supposedly from Ancy near Lancaster, I guess is how you say it. They protested against manufacturers who used machines in what they called a fraudulent and deceitful manner to get around standard labor practices. So there you go. Well, I have one that's really interesting. Okay, so that is your worker class or your socialist class saying, well, you know, the, the technology is taking away jobs. Yeah. I came to Florida, got myself into a taxi cab, and uh, it was in Orlando, and I had my, my, my hotel was on iDrive. So I took the taxi, and the taxi goes through a toll booth and pays the toll. And I said to the cab driver, I said, why on earth wouldn't you have a sun pass? And he looks at me and he goes, because that kills jobs. That's all I had to hear. <laughs> oh, my. That's a good one. That's fantastic. It kills That's, jobs. It, it kills jobs. That's the buggy whip. How come we still don't have buggy whips? Right. Even though we, we don't Horses have, horse have to buggies. have something to do. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So. Well, folks, you managed to do it again. You wasted yet another 40 minutes of your life with Dan and I. Just a reminder that all the resources and topics that we talk about today and any of our other podcasts are available on our website, pmpindustryinsider.com. Just take a look under the show notes. And as always, Dan and I are highly compensated for this podcast, meaning that we don't get paid. But if we do like, well, I shouldn't say if, we actually do like ratings and reviews. So if you have a moment, please review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, however it is that you listen to us. Don't forget that we do have a YouTube channel. So if you want to see my ugly mug now, and especially Dan's beautiful face, you can reach us out and you can just go up on YouTube and just search for PMP Industry Insider Podcast and you will find us. And with that, we're signing off. Dan, anything to add before we finish out? That's it. See you later. We'll see y'all next time. Take care now. Bye. Bye-bye.